special service happening in just a little bit. Our pastor's coming to share a message. He's been in a series that we're looking forward to hearing today. And we're just going to worship and have a good time. Amen? If you're here with us, take a few moments before we get started sometime during the service today. Fill this out, our Connect cards. I'm going to ask you to fill those out. Turn up, uh, later in the service, we'll pass them down the side and take those up. But thank you for being here again. And let's, let's pick up my glasses because I'm going to need those. Amen. Let's sing together, all right? Glorious day.
Amen. Today's a special day at Airline Baptist Church. Um, it's been a joy over the past, I guess, about nine months or so to have the Mathis family with us here at Airline. Uh, we've really enjoyed uh, having Vivian and Miles and their newest addition, Phoebe, in our preschool and our nursery departments. And it's, it's been a, a true blessing to get to know Craig and uh, Johanna. So at this time, I'm going to ask them to come. They're coming today uh, to dedicate Miles and Phoebe to the Lord. Y'all can just come join me here, if you will. So Miles was born December the 27th, 2017, and Phoebe was uh, born November the 17th, 2019. So we are just thrilled to have um, both of them as, as part of our church and this family that uh, has been coming uh, over this uh, last nine months or so. So today, um, they've come, and they're going to dedicate both of these uh, to the Lord. So I wanted to uh, share a, a little scripture with you this morning, and then we'll go through a, a series of questions and answers. So in Matthew uh, 19, little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Just as Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord, and Joseph and Mary dedicated the infant Jesus to God according to Jewish custom, Craig and Johanna Mathis are coming today with their children, Miles and Phoebe. They public, publicly acknowledge that their children are gifts from God and that they have a spiritual responsibility for the Christian nurture and training of them. So Craig and Johanna, you've brought your children before us today to publicly dedicate them to the Lord. So I have a series of questions to ask you. And if you agree, please reply by saying we will. So do you promise to love, honor, and cherish your... Um, sorry. All right, let me start over. Do you promise to love, honor, and cherish your spouse, giving your child the stability that every child longs to have? Will you accept your God-given responsibility to raise your children in a Christ-centered home? Will you strive to introduce your children to personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord? Will you strive to teach your children the Scriptures and to disciple them in their relationship with Christ? So Craig, this question is for you. Craig, will you give your children the time, attention, and affection that shows the true nature of our Father in Heaven? And Joanna, this question is for you. Will you give your children the special attention that they crave from you and the special nurturing touch that you are uniquely gifted by God to give to your children? <coughs> Thank you very much. So church family, Will you, as the community of faith, support these families, or this family, the Mathis family today, with Christian love, prayer, and by the example you set with your lives before them? If so, please say we will. We will. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Craig and Johanna. And we'll be praying for Miles and for Phoebe that they both uh, come to know the Lord. 
And uh, at this time, um, we, we want to present to you a, a Jesus Storybook Bible from the church for both of them. So I know you've got your hands full there. There's one for each one. And we trust that you'll enjoy those stories as you read through the Bible and uh, teaching them about God's Word. So I've asked Kirk Adams to come at this time. He uh, is their uh, life group teacher. And uh, I know he's, he's come to uh, love this family as we have. And he's going to come and pray for them. And he's also going to pray for offering this morning. Let's stand together and grab a hand beside you and let's pray together this morning. Uh, Father, Lord, it's just with a, a full and a grateful heart this morning, Father, as we come to you just saying thank you. God, just uh, the blessings personally that Craig and Joanna have brought in my life, Lord, as I've watched them over these weeks and months and even years, Lord, as they've raised their family, Lord, as the new one has been brought to us just here most recently. God, I just am so thankful. Father, not only for what life they've led before us, but for what life they'll lead before their children. And Father, I just pray this morning, as they stand before you and before all this congregation, Lord, they'll take these words true to heart. Father, the importance that we have in raising our children. Father, I ask your blessings on their home, the love that they have for each other, and the love they have for their children, and the love most of all that they have for you. Father, I pray for this church that God is their their friends and as their fellow believers that Father will be there to be that one that can give them that love and that encouragement, Lord, that they so often will need, as we all do. Father, I thank you for our church and I thank you, Lord, for families just like these that are so willing to serve you and to live their life before you, Lord, and before their children that will raise these children up in a way that will be pleasing your sight. Lord, I just pray this morning far in advance for the souls of these two children. Father, they'll come to know you as their personal Savior. Father, again, we just love you. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. And as we come before you this morning to, to give back just a small portion of what you've so blessed us with, Father, we ask that you'll just take it and bless it in a bountiful way, that your word can get out of this community and all of our area, Lord, to share the name of Jesus with those we see. Again, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Yes, he does. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you don't yet have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, I believe that's why you're here today. Because God has a word for you. He wants you to know that he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Thank you so much. That was my Valentine of 32 years and counting right there. Um, it's bad when Kirk says, join hands with your neighbor and pray, and my wife and son say, uh-uh, not going to do it because I'm still on the tail end of an illness this week. I love you, church. That's why I came in late, and that's why I won't stick around because I'm too social. I want to hug all your necks, and you don't want what I've had this week. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If you'll look inside of your worship guide this morning, there's a couple of things in there, a, a little outline to help you follow along in the message today, but also a connect card. We'd love the opportunity to connect with every one of you, whether you're here for the very first time or you've been here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We'd love to know that you're here, have a record of your attendance. If there's a change in your address, phone number, any of that stuff, you can note that on there. If you have praises and prayer requests, our staff will be praying over those uh, this Tuesday. When we meet, you can list those there. We'll take those up at the close of the service today. Just this week, in Sugarland, Texas, police discovered the body of Richard Logan, a former pastor and a CEO of a faith-based nonprofit organization in Texas. They discovered he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound on Tuesday. And sadly, then they discovered the body of his wife and his son in their home later. Praise God, his daughter was away at college. How does a professing believer get to that point? How does somebody who's preached the gospel of Jesus Christ get to that point? How do you deal with suicide and suicidal thoughts? The Bible has much to say about this issue. We've been in a series that we're calling untouchables, things that you normally don't talk about in church. Really, it would have been logical for me to preach this message after the message on depression, but quite frankly, I just didn't want that much heaviness two weeks in a row, so we took a break and we talked about the beauty and the sanctity of, of marriage in between there. Next week, Dr. Emer Canner, one of my dearest friends and the president of Truett McConnell University, will be here preaching God's word for us. And then the following week, Pastor Andrew Fogarty, our student pastor, and our students will be sharing what God did, you pray much, what God did on their disciple now weekend. And then we'll pick back up in this series. We looked the very first week at the sanctity of human life, how all life is sacred, all life is precious from conception until natural death. Then we looked at the issue of depression, which really dovetails with what we're talking about today. And then we looked at the sanctity of marriage. What does the Bible have to say about dating? And the answer was nothing. What does the Bible have to say about marriage? A lot. And what does the Bible have to say about divorce? I shared with you when we preached on depression some of my former faulty way of thinking when I used to think, because that's what I was taught, that depression is just a spiritual problem. And if you had enough faith, you'd be able to overcome that. I'm ashamed to tell you that I espoused that in my preaching for a number of years until God allowed me, and I believe it was God, it was not the devil, God allowed me to walk that road myself. 
for no reason that I could put my finger on. I was in the Word of God every day. And as I shared with you, if you were here that week, the only time, as God is my witness, the only time I did not feel that deep cloud, dark cloud of depression over my head is when I was preaching the Word of God. And I believe that was God's, God's mercy on those who were having to listen to me. That didn't come across, I hope, in my preaching that I could, could get through that. And God let me walk that road to prepare me for a road that no parent ever wants to walk down. When your own child, my daughter, Holly Ann, dealt with depression, anxiety, anorexia, repeatedly hospitalized for these things, had God not let me walk that road of depression, I'm telling you, I'm ashamed to tell you, I'd have pushed my own daughter away and said it's a fault, a flaw in her faith that she did not trust God enough. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all need to trust God more, amen? He, he, the answers, all the answers we need pertaining to life and godliness are right here in his word. But depression is one of the leading causes of death in the United States today. Many, many people, including Christians, believers, pastors, missionaries, struggle with depression at times. The reality is we all get down at times, amen? Um, our friend Karen Peck sings a song that says everybody's going through something. Everybody in this building is going through something. We're just going through different things. God wants us to know that not only are we conquerors, we are more than conquerors. And sometimes the devil will tell you God's forgotten you. God doesn't hear your prayers. You're never going to get out of this funk that you're in. That's why 25 million Americans suffer with this every year. If that's been you, or it's you right now, I want you to know you're not alone. You're in a building with other people who have experienced that. According to the Centers for Disease Control down the road in Atlanta, among adults 18 years of older, every suicide correlates with 30 adults who reported a suicide attempt. In other words, they were unsuccessful. I told you several weeks ago, suicide is the second leading cause of death in teenagers. More teenagers commit suicide than those combined from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, and lung disease. It's the 10th leading cause of all deaths in the United States. In 2018, 48,000 Americans died by suicide. In 2017, over 1.4 million people attempted that. In 2017, three and a half times more men took their own life than ladies. On average, 129 people take their life every day in America. White males account for about 70% of those. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do twice is to preach the funeral of a young person who professed faith in Jesus Christ, but listened to the lies of the devil and took their own life. On the very Sunday that you voted on me to be your pastor at Airline Baptist Church, a day of great joy for me and my family, I get a phone call from one of my dear friends who really, quite frankly, I should have planned better and had him come and preach this message. He's a pastor in South Georgia. I get a message from him that afternoon that after he preached the word of God and his stepson went around and shook hands and hugged necks with people in church, he walked next door to the pastorium and took his own life. That's why my first week as pastor, I was not able to preach that Wednesday night. I was preaching the funeral of that young man who gave evidence. He gave evidence of being born again. He gave evidence of being a new creation. How do you get to that point? Just recently, our student pastor's wife, Sarah Fogarty, her dad preached the funeral of one of my childhood friends from South Georgia, who was the third generation in his family to take his own life. 
How does that happen among professing believers? I'm reading a devotion book right now by the great apologist Ravi Zacharias. And I learned that Ravi Zacharias came to faith in Jesus Christ after being hospitalized for, ta- for an attempt to take his own life. The people who kill themselves go to heaven. Is suicide in the Bible or not? Well, it is. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Job's Gospel, chapter number four. I will speak quickly today. That's why you have an outline to fill in the blanks and go behind and check out and see if what I'm telling you is the truth. I I wish I had time to preach the whole book of Job, but you would be here until 2025 if I tried to do that. So let me just say this. Job was a righteous man, a man who walked with God. And Satan went to the heavenly father and said, look, the only reason that dude serves you is because he's so blessed. If he didn't have all these blessings, he would curse you and he wouldn't serve you. And you know the story, God allowed, God permitted Satan to sift Job. And he lost many of his family members, all except his nagging wife, and most of his worldly possessions. And in Job's Job's book, chapter 7 and verse number 4, would you please rise if you're physically able, and let's give reverence to the honor and reading of God's word. Job chapter 7 and verse 4. Job said, lying in bed, I think, when will it be morning? He couldn't sleep, but the night drags on and I toss till dawn. You ever been there before? Verse six says, my days end without hope. Verse seven, oh God, remember that my life is but a breath and I'll never again feel happiness. He was wallowing in that stuff. Verse 15, Job says, I'd rather be strangled. I'd rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. He was almost suicidal. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. Lord Jesus, I know statistically and I know experientially there are people in this building that have struggled with this very issue. Probably most of us have been touched by a friend or a family member who has walked this road. We're so thankful for the power of your Holy Spirit and the transforming power of your gospel. Thank you for the hope that is in these precious love letters that we call the Word of God. Lord Jesus, I pray you would move my frail humanity out of the way today, that I might decrease and that you might increase as we look at your word. God, breathe hope into those that feel hopeless today. Breathe encouragement to those who need that today. And Lord, may somebody... Whether it's here in this building or watching on the World Wide Web, may somebody find that hope that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone because as our choir just sang, we thank you that you still save. And we give you all glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. Well, I told you I wish I had time to preach the whole book of Job because thank God it didn't end right there. Thank God it did not end right there. If you do a study of the book of Job, when you get to the end of that book, after the Lord allowed Satan to remove so much from him, he never did do what his wife encouraged him to do. His wife said, why don't you just cuss God and die? That'll bless you, won't it, men? But he didn't do that. And the scripture records that at the end of his life, because he did not give in to those suicidal impulses, at the end of his life, God's blessings were far greater than in the beginning of his life. Write this down, if you will, on that outline. Number one, do you know the Bible forbids murder? I think we can all agree on that. That's not a controversial statement. The Bible forbids murder in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. You must not murder. But suicide is self-murder. I would submit to you it is a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. It is self-murder. If you were here in the first week of this series, we said that all life is precious from conception until natural death. So number two, God has a plan for every life. We looked at the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139 verse 13 that says, 
You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Creation is an act of Almighty God. He makes no mistakes. Thank you, the psalmist said, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. God is the giver of life, and God's the only one who should decide when a life comes to an end. God has a plan for you, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe you feel like you're walking through a dark valley, perhaps even the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist says in another psalm, you don't have to fear any evil because God is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you if you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And God said to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. And I believe we can extrapolate those same principles and apply them under the new covenant where God says to his children, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. People feel hopeless and they want to give up. That is in defiance of the spoken and written word of God. In those days, he says, when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you feel like there's no hope, you're not looking hard enough. Look within the love letters of God's word. Get on your face before holy God in prayer and let him breathe encouragement into your heart as only he can. Number three, how do people get to that point? Why do people self-murder? Listen, it's all throughout the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it right. God records instances of other people's sin so that we can learn from those mistakes. It has been said that the best way to learn is from your mistakes. I submit to you that is not accurate. The best way to learn is from other people's mistakes so we don't make the same mistakes. Why do people want to self-murder? Letter A, write this down, guilt. They're overwhelmed with guilt. You remember in Matthew 27 when Judas, one of the disciples, had betrayed Jesus? In Matthew 27 and verse 3, we read this. When Judas, who betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest. That's what they paid him to betray Jesus. By the way, that was the price of a common slave. He sold out the God of the universe for the price of a common slave. He said in verse 4, I've sinned, he declared, for I've betrayed an innocent man. Jesus was innocent. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. That guilt was so overwhelming. I read just this morning. I'm not much into country music, so I'd never heard of this person, but a country singer by the name of Daniel Lee Martin in Florida took his own life this week because he was under great guilt for sins he had committed against innocent children and was going to spend time in jail. So he took the coward's way out and just took his own life. Some people take their own life because they feel like the pain, let her be, write that down, the pain is overwhelming. In Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is one of the great evangelistic books of the Old Testament, how God spoke to his heart to go and make disciples, to preach to the wicked Ninevites. He had such prejudice for them, he didn't care if they did die and go to hell. And you remember the story? He was swallowed by a great fish, and he repented in the belly of the fish. We preached verse by verse through that book some time ago. And he spit him out on the shore. He preached repentance. Revival came across, and the preacher who preached for revival was ticked off about it. He still, his heart still wasn't pure. That proves to me that God honors his word, not necessarily the messenger. In Jonah chapter four and verse eight, as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head till he grew faint and he wished to die. He said, death is certainly better than living like this. 
All these people got saved and I can't stand them. It's so hot out here, I'd just soon die. Can you imagine? Because of that, he was willing to take his own life. Thank God he didn't. You know another reason people take their life, and I think this is probably involved in every instance of suicide. Let her see a demonic influence. I know you don't hear many Baptist preachers talk about a demonic influence, but is that biblical or not? Does the same Bible that preaches about angels also talk about demons? If we believe that there are angels, we entertain angels unaware, the scripture says, how can we not believe the flip side that there are demons that are active in this world? Their power is limited. They know their time is short. They know we're living in the fourth quarter. God's given the two minute warning. I believe he's gonna roll back the sky and rapture his church at any time. And it could be in our lifetime. They know their time is limited. So they're extremely active in Mark chapter two. In verse five, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. When you live in the graveyard, you got a problem. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles, that strong demonic power, not as strong as our father. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. He was suicidal until he met Jesus. And when Jesus Christ shows up on your scene, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus changes everything, even in the life of a demon-possessed man, sometimes demonic influence. I think it's probably involved always in a suicide, if you want to know my opinion of the matter. Letter D, sadly, sometimes people commit self-murder out of pure revenge. They've been hurt so badly by somebody else. They've been hurt. And by the way, listen, some people commit suicide out of a false sense of guilt. When I mentioned guilt earlier, the abuse of women and children is epidemic, another demonic influence in our culture. Sadly, sometimes the twisted thinking of the devil tells the victims of that abuse, it's your fault. And they feel like they have such shame, which they didn't ask for. They are the victim, ladies and gentlemen. And sometimes they get so caught up in that false guilt that comes from the devil, they take their own life. But other times there are people who take their own life out of revenge or anger. They want to hurt their family. They want to hurt other people who've hurt them. Remember the story of Samson in the Old Testament in Judges chapter number 16 and verse 23. Remember the Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their God, little G, Dagon. They said, our God, little G, false God, has given us victory over our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who kills so many of us is now in power. Half drunk by now, we're going to preach on what the Bible has to say about alcohol, by the way. Alcohol never makes any situation better. Mark it down. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse him, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson, he was driven by revenge at this point, said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. He was sinning, he lied, he had revenge in his heart. In verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. They gouged his eyes out. Then Samson put his hand on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against him with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. He committed suicide. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people than he 
when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Some people take their own life to get back at somebody else. It's a permanent end to a temporary problem. Letter E, also stress. Stress is the lie of the devil that can lead people to just give up, throw in the towel, wave the white flag, and take their own life. Numbers chapter 11, Moses, the great deliverer who led God's people out of bondage in verse 11 of Numbers 11. Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? I bet every pastor thought this at one time or another. Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? He's missing the point. It ain't about him. It's about what God can do through him. He's having a pity party. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? You know, Baptists are hungry. They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load's far too heavy. And then he said this. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. The stress led him to the point to just want to have his life end. He says to God, do me a favor and spare me this misery. You know why some people take their own life? Also letter F is fear. They're afraid. They're fearful of the future. They're fearful of the consequences of their actions. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. What he gives us is power and love and a sound mind. So if our life is consumed by fear, ladies and gentlemen, we recognize that comes from the devil. He is a liar and the father of all lies because God wants to give you overcoming power. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, remember when Paul and Silas were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed, he wrongly assumed, the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He was afraid of what would happen by his superiors. And we spent a whole message on letter D, depression. Depression surely leads people to take their own life. We looked at Psalm chapter number 22 a number of weeks ago. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The psalmist said, why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Depression, demonic influence, guilt, fear, all of these are contributing factors. All of these are excuses, but none of them are valid excuses to commit self-murder. Number four, the question that you're often asked because of the false teaching of some religions in our culture, do people who commit self-murder go to hell? It depends. It depends on whether or not they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The only unpardonable sin, ladies and gentlemen, is rejecting God's offer of salvation. Suicide is a sin. The guy that I preached that young man's funeral with, my, my, the young man who took his own life on the day you called me to be your pastor, the guy that preached after me stood in front of that casket and said, I'm ticked off at Chase. I'd like to just smack him for what he did. This is sin, what this young man did. He expressed what everybody was just thinking, but he went on to share the hope of the gospel because Chase gave strong evidence. Thank God they have it recorded when after uh, the, the youth, the MOVE conference and our students went to, he gave his life to Jesus at the MOVE conference in Macon a number of years ago. 
But an abusive father had come back into his life. They were not aware of that and started to basically torment the young man. It's not an excuse for doing what he did. But if somebody has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, say that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, not even suicide. Can anything separate us? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 37 says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victories, ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. All these are reasons people give for suicide. None of that, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do y'all see a parenthesis there that says accept suicide? No, it doesn't say that. Now listen, I understand. I can almost understand how people who don't stand on the authority of God's word want to manipulate people not to take their life because it is a sin. But the reality is if they're a child of God, nothing separates them from the love of God. Number five, what's wrong with self-murder? What's wrong with it? Well, we've already said letter A, it violates God's command not to murder. Write that down. It violates God's command not to murder. Letter B, did you know that it's a permanent end to a temporary problem? The Bible says it didn't come to stay and it came to pass. Whatever you're going through right now, if you will fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, he will pick you up when you can't carry on. He will pick you up and he will carry you. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Let her see, suicide really is a lack of faith in the God who created us. It's a lack of faith in the God who created us. Listen, if he can make, put dry bones back together and bring life out of them, If he can create human beings fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, if he can do all of those things, if he can raise dead folks back to life, if he can restore sight to the blind, if he can restore speech to somebody who's been mute, can he not, ladies and gentlemen, can he not carry us through the difficulties that you or I may be facing? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one, this is in the message. Now the message is a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation, but sometimes it helps shed light for me on a, on a good way to explain. Hebrews 11, one says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. When we have faith in Jesus Christ that makes life worth living, it's our handle on what we cannot see. Letter D, you know what else suicide is? It's the ultimate act of selfishness. It's the ultimate act of self. You say, this stuff is harsh, like you're being harsh to people who've given up. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says about these things. When somebody sees fit to take their own life, they're not thinking about their loved ones, their friends, their family members, their church family. Most of all, what's it gonna do to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus John says in 1 John chapter 3, also in the message paraphrase, my dear children, let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. The only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality, it's also the way to shut down debilitating self 
self-criticism. The love of God will shut down that debilitating self-criticism even when there is something to it. Even if I have messed up, even if I have sinned, even if I deserve the criticism, if I've invited it because of my own sinful actions. For God is greater than our worried hearts and he knows more about us than we do ourselves. Praise God that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Thank God that the love of God will cover that multitude of sins. How do you know? What are some warning signs? Now listen, I wanna give you some warning signs, some things that we're supposed to look for, but here's, the, here's the, just the blunt, sad reality. If somebody's determined, if they've made up their mind they're gonna do this, there's not a whole lot I can do to stop them. I can try, I can pray, I can love them, but if somebody's made up their mind to do this, apart from them submitting to the power of holy God, there's not a whole lot I can do to stop them. But I ought to look for some warning signs. Letter A is hints. When they start to hint about things like, what do you think life would be like if I wasn't here anymore? That's a red flag right there. Do you think if I was dead, anybody'd miss me anymore? That's a red flag right there. Want to pay attention to those hints. Letter B, threats. If somebody threatens to take their own life, how often do we take that seriously? 100% of the time we have to take that seriously. I don't want to live with the fact that the one time I didn't take that threat seriously is the one time they took their own life because I was too busy to be bothered. I was too busy to get involved in somebody else's messy situation. We better take those threats seriously. If someone has made an attempt on their life, let her see attempts, they're statistically more likely to try and do that again. Letter D, if a person is going through a personal crisis, a marriage crisis, a financial crisis, a crisis with their parents, any of those things, a personal crisis, you ought to just, it doesn't mean everybody going through a crisis is suicidal, amen? Because all of us go through personal crises at different times, but you take all of these things together and you look for some of these warning signs. Letter E, alcohol and drug abuse. I've said it again, I'll say it 10,000 more times. Alcohol never makes any situation better. The illegal, illicit use of drugs never makes anything better. If somebody is trying to mask that pain, if somebody's trying to put a Band-Aid over that pain and not deal with the heart of the problem, they're gonna find that alcohol. Boy, they may be able to avoid the situation for a little while, but when that mess wears off, it's still there. When that pill wears off, the problem is still there. Letter F, excessive fatigue and sleep. That's a sign of depression, sign of somebody that could be suicidal. They just don't want to deal with life, so you just sleep all the time. I shared with you the road I walked in. Man, if I was asleep, I wasn't having to think about stuff. If I was asleep, I wasn't having to think about the things that I faced. Letter G, a decreased appetite. Somebody that once had a healthy appetite, they just don't want to eat anymore. Now listen, I've experienced a lot of these with the flu this week, but it didn't mean I was suicidal. As I looked over this list, I thought, man, I had to check off a lot of these boxes this week. Isolation, H, isolation. Valentine's, I'm isolated from my wife. She's in the other room. She don't want to be near me. It didn't make me suicidal. It, I just knew that this flu didn't come to stay. It came to pass. If somebody is a loner, if they're sleeping all the time, if they're dropping hints about taking their own life, you better take that serious. Let her eye dramatic change in appearance. If they've done something to dramatically change their appearance, again, that's not the only sign, but you look at all these together. And then here's a telltale sign. When somebody starts to give away prized possessions, letter J, something that you know they treasure, something you know they value, and they start to give that stuff away, that's a strong red flag that they're not planning to be here very long, and they want somebody else to have those things. How do I minister to a suicidal person, number seven? I mean, we're just one person, right? 
You're, I, we, we can't save every life in the world, but all of us can help somebody, amen? Would you just turn to the person beside you and say, I'm here for you if you need somebody. Do that right now. That's what church family is all about. I'm here for you if you need somebody. Now listen, I'm gonna let you down and the person that just said that to you, they can let you down too. Now I want you to turn to somebody and say, Jesus is always there and he'll never disappoint you. Tell them that right now. That's more important than what we just said to them. You are not alone. Why do preachers put our trash in the street sometime? So you know we understand. So you know that we've been there. So that you know that we know God never wastes a hurt. Every hurt that has happened in my life, even the self-inflicted hurts I've caused in my own life, God will allow those to work together for my good and that I may minister to somebody else. How can you minister? If somebody called you up today and said, I'm done. I give up. I'm just ready to end all of it. What do you do? Letter A, you got to take them seriously. You got to take them seriously. They've already said that. We take every threat serious. Letter B, we don't need to freak out, but listen calmly. Listen calmly and speak calmly. They're already agitated. Their emotions are already raw. And on the inside, we may be having a freak out, but we need to remain calm in speaking to them. Letter C, never promise not to tell anybody. I always taught my, my youth leaders at my, at my church, when a, when a teenager comes and says, I'm going to tell you something, but you got to promise to never tell anybody. Never make that promise. Never make that promise. I'll promise not to tell anybody unless you're going to harm yourself or you're going to harm somebody else. Then I'm mandated by the law and I think by the Holy Spirit of God to reach out and get help and tell somebody. Never promise that you're not going to tell somebody. Letter D, help them identify the problem. What is it made you feel this way? What is it that caused this in your life? Parents going through a divorce, your spouse left you. Is it a financial issue? What is it? There's hope through all of those. Help them to identify that problem and see that it didn't come to stay. And then letter E, just pray out loud for them. Don't just say, hey, buddy, I'll pray for you. Pray out, put your hand on their shoulder unless you got the flu and just pray out loud for them. In reading my devotion book by Ravi Zacharias, he said many times people who've been skeptics and who've made fun of him for being a believer and an apologist, when the chips are down and they need somebody, they'll go to him. And he, he records in this devotion book, he said, many times I pray out loud for them and I open my eyes after I say amen, I see tears pouring down their face. When somebody hears another believer that loves and cares about them enough to cry out to holy God on their behalf, that can melt a hardened heart. Pray out loud for them. Talk to them about the finality of death. Talk to them about the finality of death. You are pondering a decision that there's no turning back. There's no way to undo this. Some of these temporary problems that you're facing, there's help for those. There's hope through that. But if you make this most ultimate selfish act, there's no turning back. Letter G, share scripture truths with them. They don't just need my opinion and your opinion. What does the word of God say? Now listen, I know if you're dealing with a lost person, they don't necessarily believe the word of God, but I'm gonna share scripture with them anyway. I might not have to quote the chapter and verse, but I'm gonna share scripture truth because the power is not in a preacher or a personality, but the power is in the word of God. The spoken word of God speaks scripture truth over that person. Letter H, you've gotta get a commitment from them that they're not gonna harm themselves. Write that down. Make them promise if they will not, I promise they're not going to harm themselves. You've got to reach out for more help. Letter I, some of this is just common sense, but may it be a reminder to us, remove all weapons and medications. Remove all weapons and medications. Again, if somebody's determined to take their own life, they may find a way to do it anyway, but I'm going to do everything I can to keep that from happening. 
Letter J, focus the person on the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. Jesus Christ who never sinned. God's personal expression of himself. Born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit of God was his father. Joseph was if you will, his earthly stepfather who was privileged by God to raise him. But he could not have an earthly father because those of us that are earthly fathers, we pass the curse of sin onto our children the way our daddies did to us. Jesus was God's personal expression of himself. He who knew no sin became sin for me when he hung naked on a cross between two thieves. He willingly, they didn't murder him, he willingly laid down his life. Why? Because he stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much the power of the gospel they laid him in a barred tomb three days later he came back to life again and Jesus said because I live you can live also he says I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I do I'll come back again and receive you to myself that where I am John 14 there you may be also focus the person on the hope of the gospel these are in no particular order by the way letter K focus the person on family and friends that's not as important as the gospel. It's not as important as scripture truth, but focus the person on people that love them. And you know, maybe their family is bad news. Maybe they've gotten a bad deal. If there's nobody else, let them know you love them. Let them know that Jesus died for them so they can be more than a conqueror. And letter L, you gotta get professional help. If you can't get a promise from them, they're not going to harm themselves, get professional help. I believe we listed on your outline the toll-free number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Stillwater's Counseling Center here in Gainesville. By the way, it's operated by uh, one of the sons of the Smith family here. A scriptural approach to helping people deal with life's problems. A number there for focus on the family, their counseling line there. Listen, it's okay not to be okay. Amen? I know I'm... Not, I'm not clicking on all cylinders today because I'm sick, but I think I'm telling you the truth, amen. It's okay not to be okay. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's not the whole statement. It's okay not to be okay, but Jesus died and rose again so that you can be okay, so that you can be more than a conqueror, so that he can give that Holy Spirit power in your life. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to get help, but God loves you too much to let you stay the way that you are. Let's, how do we apply this truth today? Look at your conclusion there. Number one, be sensitive to hurting people all around us. Everybody's going through something. Now, you might have thought that was corny what I had you do earlier, turn to somebody and say, you're there for them if they need you. I did that because everybody's going through something. Everybody needs to be encouraged, but that's not enough. I had you turn around and tell them that Jesus is the one that will never leave them or forsake them. Be sensitive to hurting people all around us. They may not be suicidal, but they may be lost and they may not know the hope of the gospel and hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. That is a red flag that they need the hope of the gospel in their life. Number two, never forget the one who created you. And as the old singer, I believe it was at the waters, used to say, God don't make no junk. The one who created you and he makes no junk loves you so much, he sent his only son to die in your place. When we take our own life, particularly as a professing believer, it cheapens the gospel in the eyes of a watching and lost world. We need to live lives that prove we are more than conquerors. God doesn't make any junk. In Philippians 4.13, number three, Christians can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, not on my own, but through Christ who strengthens us. You can overcome that. And the most important question for all of us, really number four, are you completely at peace with your salvation? God forbid if you died today, not necessarily, I sure hope it wouldn't be from taking your own life. I pray it wouldn't. 
but God forbid an accident, heart stops beating, some sickness overcomes, uh, the patriarch of our, my mother's family, our shepherd family, Patrick Fitzgibbons, how's that for an Irish Southern gentleman's name? 90 years old, took a picture with his wife. He's on his cane, she's on her walker, Valentine's Day kissing each other. Yesterday stepped into eternity. He was the wisest man, I think, the sharpest mind, I would say, that I've ever known. 90 years wasn't enough for our family to have Pat Fitzgibbons to speak truth into our lives and to encourage us. But all of us have an appointment with death one day, and the only thing that matters is where are you going to go when that happens? Do you have the peace and the hope of the gospel in your heart? Are you completely at peace with your salvation and your spiritual condition? If you're not, you can know. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Salvation is a surety. It's not something we have to hope or think or wish you can know that you have eternal life. Realize we're all messed up people for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How much does God love us? He proved it. He didn't just say, love you, bro. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He knew how I'd disappoint him. He knew how I'd shame him even after he saved me, but he stayed on that cross for my sins anyway. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's the easy part, but you gotta believe it in your heart. You gotta know it's real in your heart. Put your faith, hope, trust in him. You, if you do that, you can be saved for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you, we're surrounded by hurting people. Some suicide notes found by some college students. One of the young men said he felt like all the juice had been sucked out of the orange. I didn't put it that way, but I felt that way. Another said he had all the thrills there are in this life. He was not gonna get the thrill of death. Mm. Ain't no thrill in that if you don't know Jesus as the Lord of your life. If you do know Jesus as the Lord of your life, there's no thrill for those that are left behind. Another one said he wanted to find out what was on the other side. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. The old preacher Oswald J. Smith says, at the door of the rationalistic evolutionary teaching of today must be laid the blame. No young man commits suicide whose life is anchored in God, but robbed of a future hope, life is barren and life is worthless. The best prescription for depression, the best prescription for suicide is praise. Get people focused on who God is, get people focused on what Jesus did, and the praise is the best prescription to get people out of that stuff. Would you bow and pray with me, church? Listen, I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know everybody's going through something. And it may seem minor and insignificant to other people, but for you, if it's taken your focus off Almighty God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to listen. There's hope in Jesus. Jesus did not die and resurrect himself from the dead for Christians to walk around pooch-lipped and defeated. The lost world is looking for something that's real. They're looking for people who will be authentic and say, hey, we're messed up too. But let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. If you're at the end of your rope today, there are men and women that would be more than happy to pray with you, to let you know that you're not alone. Maybe your concern is not necessarily for yourself, but you're so worried about a loved one who's given some of these warning signs. Are you concerned about a loved one that may not give signs of being suicidal, but they give no evidence of being a believer in Jesus Christ? 
Because when we all face that final appointment with death, that's all that's gonna matter. Do you know Jesus? Our altars are open for you to come and pray right now. If you wanna pray for yourself, pray for a loved one, a coworker, pray that God would empower you, give you enough compassion to share the hope of the gospel with those who need to know Him. If you say, Mike, I'm just so wrung out in my emotions. I don't even know what to pray, how to pray. Romans chapter eight also goes on to say that when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit of God makes intercession for us. He's at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. Sometimes we just need to encounter Jesus with skin on. Those of us who are children of the Most High God, we have His Spirit living inside of us. There are those that would love to pray with you today. You come, we'll pair you up with somebody. If you're looking for a church to lock arms with, you say, Mike, I know I'm a believer. I want to be a part of a church that is Christ-driven and community-focused. I want to be a part of a church that cares more than about what happens in these walls, but a church that cares what happens outside these walls. If you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life and you want to unite with us, come and talk to one of our men today. We'd love to take care of those details. Maybe like Sweet Alma last week who followed the Lord in believer's baptism. You say, I know I've given my life to Jesus, but I've never taken that next step of obedience and followed him in baptism. Come and talk to one of our men. They'd love to explain to you what that means. Why is it important that we're baptized? Lord Jesus, in this time of invitation, we do pray that each one of us would not just repeat words on a screen that we surrender all, but the reality of our heart and the reality of our life is that we do surrender all. Help us to see that the greatest place of freedom is when we surrender and yield control of our life to you. Help us not to lift ourselves, but for your glory and yours alone. God, I pray you'd save the soul closest to eternity today apart from you. For those who need to make other commitments today, help us to do that because you're worthy of whatever you ask us to do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Mike's gonna lead us in this very familiar song, I Surrender All. There'll be men here to talk with you and pray with you. If you need a lady, we'd love to have a lady come and pray with you. Let's just respond right now and be obedient. When we walk out these doors, here's the deal. Did you not listen to some South Georgia preacher preach the word? No, what did you do with the word that you heard? That's where the power will be when we live in obedience to this word. Let's stand together. If everything's all right between you and the Lord, you sing. If everything's all right between you and the Lord, come and pray for somebody that's not. Surrender.